Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411, the podcast, a special podcast series led by registered dietitian and nutritionist Lisa Jones. The views of the speakers are their own and do not reflect the views of their respective institutions for Consultant 360. Hello and welcome to Nutrition 411 the podcast where we communicate the information you need to know now about the science, psychology, and strategies behind the practice of dietetics. Today's podcast is about sports nutrition, and I am honored that Kelly Jones is here with us today. Welcome, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, we are excited to have you. I want to introduce Kelly. Kelly is a board-certified specialist in sports dietetics, media and nutrition communications expert, and busy active mom. She and her dietitians work with athletes and active individuals at every level, providing practical performance nutrition strategies to enhance physical and mental performance. So obviously, Kelly, you are very busy. A <laughs> little bit. <laughs> you want to tell us a little bit about your background from high school? I know you were a competitive swimmer. Of course. So I did compete in swimming in high school and then went on to compete division one in college as well. Uh, and swimming for those who don't know is like a year round sport. We don't really get many breaks. So, um, there's a lot of two a days and as you can imagine, nutrition should be a pretty big part of that. And, uh, when I was in high school, my mom ran into some health issues and our family started to eat a little bit differently. And I noticed pretty quick and improvements in my performance and also saw her improvements in health and knew at that time that I not only wanted to go into nutrition to help people find uh, the benefits of it, but also to help athletes in particular. Uh, because of that, I you know now work with a lot of swimmers uh, in addition to endurance athletes and a variety of others, but I always have a special place for swimmers in my heart. No, I love that. Yeah, there's always, we can always trace it back to something that kind of inspired us to do what we do today. And you have a great mm -hmm. story. So thank you. We appreciate you sharing that with us. Of course. I wanted to just highlight some, any disclosures that you want to note real quick. I know that we can link to any of them on your website, but if there's any that you want to speak to now, that would be great. Sure. I do work with a lot of brands. Uh, I found my way into media nutrition as part of my work. I'm on the Orgain Nutrition Advisory Board and I'm a spokesperson for Honey Stinger and, you know, do a lot of work with Now Foods and the wonderful company. So um, I, you know, do work with some other brands here and there, but those are kind of my bigger partners. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. And again, as mentioned, we will link to the rest of them. So everyone is aware. And now I want to ask you some additional questions about your area of expertise, obviously sports nutrition, but mm -hmm. I want to kind of find a little bit more about, and I know you mentioned the history of how you became a sports dietitian, but how did you really come to specialize in sports nutrition? And when exactly besides that moment, that, that was kind of like the moment that you're like, Oh, I want to, I want to be a sports nutrition, but how did you like for people that are interested that are in college right now, Mm -hmm. and want to be a sports nutrition, like what advice would you give them about how, how you got started in the field, but how can they then transfer those skills and how could they maybe follow in your footsteps? Sure. So I'll go into kind of what I did, but then also I do want to acknowledge that there are more opportunities now than when I was in school and there's other ways to get involved at a younger age. 
uh, that I didn't really know of and, you know, things that just weren't available at that time. So for me, I went to school at the University of Connecticut and they have a fantastic kinesiology program. So I did have a minor in uh, exercise science while I was majoring in nutrition and dietetics. And I, you know, did get to interact with some amazing professors that were leading researchers in the field. And that helped me just gain an interest in research itself. Uh, then when I went on to grad school, um, I was matched to the university at Buffalo for my dietetic internship and completed my master's degree there too, but decided that my master's focus was going to be in exercise nutrition versus just clinical nutrition. Um, when I was in my internship, we had our kind of choice rotation and I really pushed for sports nutrition. They have, you know, division one teams there who had never had nutrition support and actually helped to found their first internship for uh, sports nutrition, their first internship rotation. So uh, I think it's important sometimes to be a little bit pushy and not be afraid to speak up when you're a student or intern because you can create opportunities that aren't there. And that made a really big impact on me. And I think the trajectory of my career, it helped me one realize I didn't want to work full time for a college, which was helpful um, because for me, family is important. Being in place was one place was important. And I didn't want to kind of chase jobs all around the country. But also uh, I knew that working with specific athletes outside of that setting, I could have a little bit more impact on individuals' day-to-day -day lives versus just giving broad recommendations and working on catering and things like that. So there's a lot of ways you can go with performance nutrition, but that experience taught me a lot. Students today, I encourage to volunteer with uh, you know professors that are doing research and volunteer with athletic departments so you can get that experience and kind of see what you like and what you don't like at that moment. So I think that that's incredibly helpful. The other thing I volunteered with Scan, which is now Shippen, uh, very early on, and you know did their social media for a while and built a lot of connections and did a lot of networking there. And right now, I would say yes, Shippen's helpful, but also CPSDA, the Collegiate and Professional Sports Dietitian Association, uh, definitely as a student, get involved there, do their continuing education, apply for their boot camps, and go to their conference because it's a you know, a thing that didn't exist when I was younger that I know could have uh, helped me figure things out sooner too. Well, that, that is fantastic because one of the things that you said that really stuck out was the fact that create, go out there and create your own opportunities. Mm -hmm. Even if you seem like you're being pushy, like create your opportunities, because I think, and that goes back and I'm going to age myself here, but back when I was in college, there was Nancy Clark, like that was the only sports nutritionist. Yeah. That, and she would have articles. It was back when like articles were being sent out. Mm -hmm. You couldn't get them online and that's how, yeah. So you couldn't get them online and then she was <laughs> the only one. So like when I went to my professor and said, Oh, this is an interesting field. And the professor was answered, well, Nancy Clark's the only sports dietitian, like pretty much like, don't even like think about it, but now you're right. right. Like there's so many opportunities popping up and it's just fantastic to watch and see all these opportunities that weren't there before and now they are but it goes back to what you were saying is that even if there isn't the opportunity you think is available for you go out and create your own mm -hmm. and so. you know we were both on the nutrition entrepreneurs board at the same time in the past and when i first started to get into nutrition entrepreneurs and volunteer there and network there too uh emma Fo, another dietitian uh, made a comment about how anywhere there's food, there should be a dietitian. And I kind of translate that now into anywhere there's food and fitness, there should be a dietitian too. So uh, there's more opportunities out there than exist right now, for sure. Yeah, I love that. We need to put that on a t-shirt somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. How about, so tell us a little bit more about how you work with athletes 
and really developing nutrition plans that will support their training and performance goals in the future. Sure. So myself and my dietitians work with athletes at any age, you know, students, we work with pros and then just everyday exercisers too. But no matter who it is, my goal is always to help people feel without fear. Uh, there's a lot of fear mongering in the media and social media. There's a lot of fear of certain foods and food timing in sports culture. And I want to help people feel without fear, losing the all or nothing mentality too that's often ingrained in athletes. So understanding that part of the culture is really important. But when working one-on-one, um, it's of course, you know, essential to dive into the athlete's training program, their current struggles, their preferences, and whatever their current goal is. But I also love to take it back from day one, really before day one, I have them fill out a pretty lengthy form that we discuss in more detail when we meet. But where they kind of tap into their relationship with food, relationship with their body. And this goes from like childhood and, you know, what foods they were offered or not allowed to have, or what was instilled in them from a parent or coach, or just things they picked up on their own uh, seeming so that we can understand that. And then their education can become a lot more personal. So from there, we can then, you know, have more individualized education, determine how we can make practical tweaks to their current eating pattern, because there's a lot of advice out there that's just not realistic, uh, and then help them reach their goals. So we're taking performance nutrition science, which we know is lab based and not always realistic and integrating that with their experiences. And, you know, while I always, um, you know, want to encourage them to do certain things, it's on them to decide ultimately two to three things that they'll start to work on right away and how they can do that. And then in between appointments, we're always checking in weekly for accountability with what's going well, what's kind of a struggle right now and any kind of random questions that pop up. Yeah. And I'm sure that that happens. That sounds amazing with an, another t-shirt came up. You were saying feel without fear. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you have like some t-shirts there. <laughs> I, I, I should just get on. started. Yeah. No, I think that's really good with the feel without fear. Cause that's something that's memorable. And, and then that, that mm-hmm. kind of puts their anxiety at bay in a way, because if you think about like an athlete, like I just remember I, the last time I played athletics or I didn't play professionally, but I played in high school and it wasn't like swimming, like where you had to do it twice a day, but it was field hockey and they made us practice right after. But I just remember it being like, we had to do the monster mile. And I remember that mm-hmm. was difficult. And that would always cause, cause anxiety. Cause I wasn't a fast runner unless someone's chasing me with a knife type of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it, those kind of things. And then I just remember the things that really stick out to me is the practices that in sports that were considered, I guess I was thinking like, this can't be healthy. Like with a, if you're somebody that's in wrestling and they tell you like to put a trash bag on, run around with it. Cause you have to be at a certain weight, like the mm-hmm. stuff that they would do. And I, I remember thinking to myself, that can't be right. Like, and you starve yourself all day because you're trying to make this weight. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there's so many risks to it all. Yeah. Yeah. I really like your philosophy, the the fuel without fear. Thank you. Yeah. So how, so there's so much research and just like, if you're, if you're not a sports dietitian, you're just a regular dietitian that maybe practice in another area. And then you see all this research come out, or even if you're someone that's a sports dietitian, like what is your recommendation for them to, how do they stay current with the trends in sports nutrition? Great question. You know, I am a big fan of, uh, it's actually a subscription model, but examine.com, you can kind of select the topics that are important to you and sort of get a research brief every month so that something stands out, you know, it's something that you're interested in, something that you've heard about recently or something that applies to your niche, then you can click over 
read the studies that they're linking to in more detail. And then of course, you know, make your own opinion on them. But um, I like their research briefs. And then I also, as a member of CPSDA that I mentioned earlier, they send out when they have research library updates too. And if you are a sports dietitian, you know, just getting started out again, ship in CPSDA, look at their fact sheets just as a start. Uh, the sports nutrition manual for professionals is a textbook that's updated by, you know, leading performance dietitians. Um, I think they're on the seventh edition now and is a great way to have just kind of a, a book to grab and look at an actual textbook, not digital um, that you can, you know, highlight, look at things that are important to you. Uh, and then personally, I do a lot of writing and webinars, um, you know, for brands that I work with and also for conferences. So that keeps me kind of on my toes, actually looking at research and researching on my own pretty regularly too for different topics. Yes, you're lucky there because that, that kind of forces you to stay current because you can't mm -hmm. be putting this content out there if it's not up to date. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> As a dietitian, we're the first to tell you when something is not up to date. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so what would you recommend? So what would be your advice to give to other professionals that, again, like want to go into this particular field of sports nutrition? You know, I think that it depends on where you're starting. Um, you know, if you're a student right now, then you have to maybe accept that your first job won't necessarily be in performance nutrition, but you can always find ways to integrate it on the side if you want. Uh, there's so many opportunities to just start doing one-on-one -on -one counseling or speak to teams. Uh, even if it's a local high school or club team, uh, you can, again, start volunteering or writing. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities in that way. And really the same goes if you've been a dietitian for 10, 15 years and decide, you know what, this is something I've always wanted to do. I always tell people to take a look at what you love about your job right now and see how your sports nutrition interests could relate to that. You know, if you really do love writing, can you, you know, start writing your own blog to get practice and then do guest blog posts for another performance dietitian. And then from there, pitch yourself out to runner's world. You know, that's a path that you could take. If you really love working with groups, maybe you can start group coaching in the sport that you're most comfortable with. Uh, and, you know, put those type of services out there. So I'm, I'm really into the entrepreneurial side of things because I think that there's the most opportunity there for growth and to do what you really love. And you just have to kind of merge it with what you already love doing. Um, having said that, we obviously need to enhance our knowledge as well. So those resources that I mentioned, I think are really important to get involved with from the get-go between SHIPIN and CPSDA, especially. Yes. And, and thank you for sharing that. That's excellent excellent advice because the, the one thing you're going back to is creating your own opportunity like how could you take your current skills and make the transferable skills that you have like writing for example you could already be writing for another publication and then mm -hmm. just just really great tips there thank you yeah now do you have you might not know this answer and it just popped up when you were answering the last question but do mm -hmm. you happen to know because i'm seeing more and more job opportunities like on different job boards that'll pop up and we'll say like, whereas before, like, you know, even 10 years ago, you didn't see them. Like, I mean, I would probably say like, doesn't every college at this point have somebody on campus that is a performance dietitian or is that, do you happen to know like the stats on that? You would think that every college would. Um, this is actually something that CPS Day was really founded by dietitians who wanted to make more opportunities available um, because they weren't. And uh, we still have a long road to go, but there's been a lot of progress. Um, I think that there's still only around a thousand CSSDs, which is 
certified specialists in sports oh. dietetics. Um, and you know, that's kind of, you're not necessarily going to be there when you get your first job in let's say collegiate or pro sports, but, um, we're, we're definitely making progress uh, as of 2020, I just pulled up a webinar that I gave, there were 275 full-time jobs available in collegiate and professional settings. So 275 with there being a thousand CSSDs, that means that there's about 700 plus not accounted for in those numbers. So that's where, again, you know, it might be a performance training center. There might be some working in a gym and a lot working uh, in private practice too. But there's a lot of colleges who still don't think they have the budget. Um, there was actually a school that settled on a, you know, death lawsuit with a student athlete who died from heat stroke uh, a couple of years ago, and they had to pay out $14 million uh, to settle that. So not only by not hiring a sports dietitian to educate coaches and athletes on hydration, not yes. only because of that did they have someone die, but it's obviously costing them a lot of money too. So I always argue that you're saving money by having a performance dietitian, even though you can't necessarily look at the you know, cause and effect between exactly how that dietitian is helping you revenue wise or, you know, helping the athletes uh, specifically, but it is very important, I think. Yes, definitely. That case that you were talking about, was that the one that was in the news? I think I saw something about it in the news last week. Just last week. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he was trying to get water and they, they like, that was yes. Mm -hmm. And you see things like that too come out, you know, in high school athletics with football, with basketball, randomly here and there, they're like, Oh, you know, they had a heart event and it's, well, how much did hydration, you know, probably play a role in that. I see athletes all the time who say, you know, my coach said that, you know, throwing up meant that I was just working hard. And, you know, I've track athletes who will say, well, my coach said that if I'm still getting my period, I'm not working hard enough. These are the harmful messages that people are getting. Yes. And you know, we can help performance and help so much by having more access to RDs out there. Yes. And it's great to know that you're, you're kind of on a campaign to do just that you and the, your fellow dietitians that work alongside of you are there to do that and hopefully change that number. So that's, that's just so great to hear because, and I would have thought the number would have been at least like half of it, but the fact mm -hmm. that it's only 275, I mean, that's still better than zero, which it, it, it is be, right. You know, when so. I was in grad school, I think, you know, I knew of maybe five dietitians um, that were full time at that level. And so there are some that consult too. Um, I will say the MLB major league baseball, they require every team to at least consult with a sports dietitian, mainly because of supplement issues. But, um, you know, again, there's a lot of progress that has been made uh, with that. Yes. That's good to hear. Well, keep on the mission that you're on. Do not stop. We're trying. <laughs> well, how about, I, I know I've seen you spoke speak before about REDS and mm -hmm. could you explain a little bit more about, first of all, what it is for those that don't know. And then mm -hmm. second question, it's impact on the health and the performance of athletes. Absolutely. So REDS, you'll usually see it abbreviated R-E-D dash S stands for relative energy deficiency in sport. And essentially this is a syndrome um, we don't necessarily identify it as an eating disorder, which I'll get to why in a minute, but it results from something called low energy availability. Low energy availability is when the body is not getting enough energy or calories from the diet to support just basic health, basic BMR, you know, um, for 
basic body functions on top of the really high energy demands that they have from training. So the energy that's left over, there's really no energy left over. You end up being in a deficit and the syndrome that results from that harms both physical and mental performance uh, and health. So from a physical standpoint or, or performance standpoint, let's call it, because that's what athletes tend to care about more. This is where we catch their attention and say, Hey, here's a problem. Um, we can see decreased endurance performance decreased muscular strength and recovery, uh, and, you know, decreased training responses in general, which can then affect cardiovascular health and whatnot, but there's definitely an increased injury risk. And this can be, you know, that your concentration and your coordination are off and your mental energy is lower. You're dealing with brain fog. So you end up, you know, having a misstep that you should have been fine and you end up, you know, having a joint issue, or sometimes more likely, and this is how we catch it, is with skeletal injuries. So stress fractures are almost always a clear indication of low energy availability in athletes. So if it's a you know metatarsal foot fracture, I get a lot of referrals um, for hip fractures, believe it or not. Those are a lot more common than you might think. Uh, and that is when people have this wake-up call of, oh, wow, what I've been doing is really not supporting my training. So that all obviously bleeds into the health consequences, which get into immune system function. For females, we also often see, I alluded to this earlier, loss of menstrual function or irregular menstrual function. So it is not normal and it is not healthy to lose your period. Unfortunately, in males, we can't see that. So for them, we're looking at a lot more, are you getting colds often? Are you getting sick a lot? How is your bone health? Um, are you having problems concentrating? psychologically, how are you doing with mental health? So there's a wide long list of issues that can come about. And this isn't always intentional from disordered eating and trying to change their body. A lot of times it's just, especially in student athletes, they have such busy, stressful schedules, sometimes again, training twice a day with a full, you know, course load and all the pressure they put on themselves too. It's hard to really find time to eat adequate meals throughout the day. And that's what dietitians can help them strategize. Well, it sounds like we could have a whole podcast episode just on reds. A thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. So we'll have to have you come back and talk about just reds. But I was astounded when you were talking about the hip fracture, because you wouldn't think that that would be something that would be an issue unless they were like at a certain age or something. But you're saying like right. these are like, this is any age that just can happen to you, correct? Yes. And we spend a lot of time, you know, especially my practice in the past, I spent a lot of time with disordered eating and reds. And while I do less one-on-ones now, my other dietitians still do a lot of these one-on-one -on -one consults and uh, it's especially in endurance athletes. So we'll have runners, triathletes, cyclists come to us with these problems, but um, yes, you can have osteoporosis as a teenager or in your twenties because of under fueling. And um, a lot of times too, when women or females are younger, their doctor will just tell them to go on a birth control pill when they don't have their period. And really that just masks the problem because then we don't know that, oh, wow, you haven't had your period really in seven years. And that entire time you've really had endocrine issues that have kept your bones from mineralizing the way that they're supposed to. So um, unfortunately, there's a lot of issues out there with masking some of these problems too. Wow. You're almost like a detective too, trying to figure out like all those different, like, what could this be? <laughs> Right. And, you know, making sure that we can get the correct labs, you know, we look at things like thyroid and, um, you know, other endocrine hormones to kind of piece it together. And sometimes there's parallels with PCOS, which makes it confusing, especially if they don't have an injury yet. So definitely a lot of detective work, especially too, because a lot of primary care doctors 
aren't really in the know on issues like this. So unless they're seeing sports medicine, it's hard to have those conversations. Yes. And you also just made the point for why it's necessary. Like if somebody's looking to transfer to become like their dietitian practicing in another specialty area, they really have to get their knowledge base, mm-hmm. like a good foundation of their knowledge base move before they move into the sports nutrition arena. Cause you can't just like, so many things to know. It's not like I can mm-hmm. wake up tomorrow and be, Hello, I'm the sports nutritionist now. Exactly. And you know, this sounds like an area that anyone listening is interested in. Um, There is a conference literally called the female athlete conference every June that's in the Boston area. That is all the leaders in research on this area. So um, that can help with the female um, athlete side of things though. Again, with reds, it does bleed into um, any gender. Yes. And I also read something that you were having too upcoming, I think in April, April 17th, I believe. Do you want to just talk? Now would probably be a good time to talk about that. For those sure. Interested yeah. In transitioning. Yeah. Um, when the pandemic hit, uh, myself and another dietitian, Angie Ashy, were supposed to be presenting a webinar at a national conference on, you know, diversifying revenue streams as a sports dietitian. And so because that was canceled, we said, okay, we're just going to give the webinar on our own. And we did that. And then we had so many students and other dietitians who were like, hey, I really want to get into sports nutrition. Do you do business coaching? And we were like, we'd love to, but we actually do sports nutrition. So we don't have time for that. So for about three years, we've been wanting to launch a course so that we can help more people really learn how to build the knowledge and more importantly, the business skills uh, to become an entrepreneur in the area of performance nutrition and find all the different ways that you know, they can get excited about working in sports nutrition outside of just one-on-one counseling. So we have a nine-week course that includes group coaching and a mastermind group launching on April 17th that we're really excited about. Oh, congratulations. That's fabulous. And much needed too. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of people that are, you know, working full-time and it's a wonderful experience to get, but they're crazy hours and there's a lot of burnout with all the travel and, and long days and weekends that uh, dietitians are working and sometimes without appropriate pay. So that's why we're really passionate about, you know, not only advancing pay in the field, but also people moving into entrepreneurship if that's what feels right for them. Yeah. And I think this will be something good on your resume too. Thank you. And so we'll put the link for there's That's the website, sportsnutritionentrepreneurs.com. So we will put that yeah. link in our show notes. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. And I would love to hear from you because nothing brings something more to life than a story. I would love to hear if you can think of like one particular story that you want to share showcasing your work. Sure. So um, this story kind of brings together a few clients that I had in the fall. Um, I have had a history of really being pro plant-based. You know, I eat more plant-based on my own, but do look at plant-based as, you know, mostly plants and not necessarily exclusively plants, unless that's important to someone ethically. And I think that there's a big trend for people to just go plant-based just because right now. Uh, And, you know, a lot of elitist claims about it being the end all be all, like you have to go vegan or else you're not going to be healthy, all this stuff. So especially in the endurance community, a lot of people have caught on to that. And um, while I'm a huge promoter of eating more plant foods, I'm also a big pusher of protein, I say, and I had several um, endurance athletes come to me at the same time in the fall who were following vegan diets to quote, improve health uh, and improve performance. And what we found in looking at their diets is because they weren't actually doing this for ethical reasons and um, they were doing it just because they thought it was best. 
it really was more of like a restrictive diet for them. And, um, you know, I don't only help people who come to me saying I'm vegan. How do I eat this way? But I help people evaluate, like, is this really the best way for me to eat? So with these people, one of them ended up, you know, adding back in fish here and there because they really loved it, but they were also concerned with family history of heart issues. Um, and the other was traveling so often that, they were just missing opportunities to even eat protein and fuel correctly because they were looking for whatever the vegan option was on the menu, which sometimes had no protein and sometimes was like, you know, beyond burgers on white buns with cheese and like no vegetables on the side. So to try to bring more balance for them and consistency in their refueling plan while they were training for an Ironman, um, not to mention, you know, it really became apparent to them that while they were at home, they could eat as vegan as they wanted. But when they were on the road, it was really important to them to add in animal proteins here and there. So, you know, I just, I, I like that story because it shows how flexible we as dietitians need to, and really should want to be with our clients so that they can achieve their goals and also continue to enjoy food and feel well too. Yes. What a great message that that story highlights. And I'm sure you have so many over the years too, like that showcase your work. And it's also, yeah. that one kind of shows like the, just the consumers are just bombarded with information. Like you go into mm-hmm. the grocery store, even as a dietitian myself, I'll go in the grocery store and I'm like, I can't keep up with all the products that are being released. <laughs> like right. I know. Week. And all the trends. Yes. And it's like, oh, what do I, and then if somebody asks you, you're like, well, I don't know, like I have to go look stuff up still sometimes. Like it used to be Absolutely. easier back in the day when there wasn't as much. Now it's like, okay, what happened? Where, where's this new right. product at? And then you Mm -hmm. may want to try it yourself before you recommend it, those kind of things. So yeah, there's there's so much. And and we know, and you and I, like as dietitians know, because we study it, but like, imagine being a consumer that doesn't have any background knowledge to any of it. Right. It has to be so frustrating. And then you go on social media and you're scrolling and there's some random wellness influencer without a shirt on in a grocery store, like pulling a product you just bought saying that it's toxic. So it's a crazy world out there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's definitely entertaining too. I I think. Yes. For us. (laughs) (laughs) Now we talked a lot about like you had so many different things that we discussed so far today. So it's probably hard to boil it down into one bottom line takeaway for the audience. But what would you say if you could do that into one or two takeaways? What would you tell them that they should do or be aware of? Yeah, I think that we just want to look at fueling as an individualized thing that should be practical and realistic. We don't want to go for those all or nothing mentalities. And, you know, to add to that, probably should have mentioned this a little bit earlier, but the way that your body looks and the weight on the scale is not necessarily going to correlate with your performance. So start to look at, you know, other aspects of, um, you know, performance to guide if your eating plan is doing the right things for you or not. And then second, um, I'm always recommending, I think no matter who you are, um, for the most part, unless, you know, there's a specific condition that we have to consider, uh, aiming to add more plants and more protein to the plate are always good goals to try to enhance your health and performance, whether, you know, fitness and athletics are important to you or not. There's another t-shirt. See, Kelly's got t-shirts now. Plants and well, protein to the plate. Yeah, thank you for bringing this up because now I have to add that to my list of uh, list things, of things to, to do. do. Yeah, let me know when the store is ready. <laughs> is there anything else that you want to share with us before we, that you, you may have forgotten to mention or wanted to mention before we go into the fun, fun round? 
Not that this uh, no, let's just hit the lightning round. I, I think that we've, I think we've had a lot of good points and I'd love to, you know, leave people with those last two uh, little bullets there. Yes. So I'm ready for the lightning round. So good. Good, juicy nuggets. Okay. My first question for you, Kelly is how do you celebrate Easter? So Easter has always been my favorite holiday, like more than Christmas. I like that for me, it's just been togetherness with my family versus the focus on the gifts and all the stuff and the decorations. Um, now that I have kids, we're super into the Easter egg hunts. So we love doing that and sending them around uh, and just seeing how happy they are. But one big tradition for me, I have this cake pan that has these four like bunny molds in it. And ever since I was little, it's my, it was my grandmother's. Um, ever since I was little, we make these bunny cakes every Easter. So that's one of my favorite traditions that I did with my mom. She did with her mom. And now I'm carrying on with my kids. Um, and I love cake and frosting. So it just totally works <laughs> for me. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. How about you talk a little bit about your kids. How about when you were a kid, what is your favorite Easter memory that you remember to this date? So I obviously I love that um, that memory of making those cakes with my mom and grandma, but I also grew up with so many cousins around. That's one thing that my kids don't have. And at my cousin's house, we would always have these huge Easter egg hunts. I mean, there was over a dozen of us, you know, just running around uh, the backyard, and it was always just fun to be together and you know, spend time afterwards. We'd usually go to a big Easter brunch before that as a family. And we'd have like tables and tables of our family there, big Italian family, um, mm -hmm. and then came back and would do our little hunt. So those are some pretty special memories that I have. Oh, <laughs> I love these questions. I know. <laughs> me back. These Easter egg hunts are so fun. Yes. All right. So I have to ask you this one because you're a dietitian and you, you, you like to eat and talk about food. So I have to, of course, ask you, what are your favorite or traditional foods that you like to, to eat for Easter? Like if you were sitting down for an Easter meal, what would you prepare? What would Kelly make? So because brunch was such a big part of growing up for me, like we never had a big Easter dinner, like a lot of people do. So the past few years, you know, because we don't, especially with the pandemic, we don't really go out to brunch as much anymore um, for Easter. And I like to make a big, you know, brunch spread. So I usually do frittatas. Um, I'm really into stratas now. Um, with like the whole green bread and like spring vegetables in there. And then, um, you know, adding on fun little side dishes. We do like carrot pancakes to try to be on theme. And um, I love making little homemade uh, peanut butter Easter eggs. So um, those are some staples that are on our table. Oh, that so sounds like I have to find out exactly where Kelly lives. <laughs> yeah, we're not that far. You can come <laughs> over for I'm Easter. I'd love to have you. <laughs> that sounds delicious. All right. My last question for you. If you could travel anywhere for Easter, where would you go and why? Honestly, I would probably travel back in time to spend the weekend with my big extended family. We don't get to do that as much. Um, you know, I don't live in the same state that I grew up. And actually the family member whose house always hosted us, um, she passed away in the fall. So I would actually travel back in time to one of my childhood Easters to experience that again. Oh, wow. That's a great answer. I didn't expect that. I thought you'd like to say like, I'd go to Hawaii or something. Or I know I was thinking that at <laughs> first and then, and then I, I went for the nostalgia of it all. Oh, so good. Well, who doesn't want to do that? Right. Yeah. That's my answer too. Now, Kelly, I'm going to steal your answer and use it. I it's love so it. Good. Yes. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being yeah, on. Thank you. Today.
I appreciate you having me and I loved all the questions. Yeah, thanks. And sharing your insights with us. And we'll share, like we said, all the resources and links as we discussed. And to our audience, thank you for listening and please tune in again and share your comments and feedback on our site. Have a great day and enjoy a healthier lifestyle with a 411 in mind. For more nutrition content, visit consultant360.com. 